Welcome to this week's very special episode of The Last Refuge. I'm your friendly neighborhood, Taryn, also known as Bria. And with me, I have... Eugenio, also known as DM Jazzy Hands. Hello. Hello. We have more to say. Last week, I have no idea what happened because we have no idea when these will be released. Actually, we kind of do, but I don't, so it doesn't matter for me. We all know how distracted and sidetracky I like to get, even in the intro. So buckle up for some fun. I'm about to go in-depth with DM Jazzy Hands. Today, will I find out all of the secrets of The Last Refuge? No. How many compliments can DM take before he hangs up the Zoom call? Fewer than you're going to attempt. And will he like the new game that I created just for this episode? Let's find out. Hey, y'all. Hey. I like that you get to use y'all in the singular. That was a part. I have like a note here that's like, okay, I'm sorry. Like y'all singular usually isn't. Don't (laughs) at me. But I have to like keep with the format. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to finally do this. Me too. I have been really excited about this. And then you told me right before we started recording that you were excited and not nervous. And then I got nervous because (laughs) you weren't nervous. (laughs) And one of us has to be. And obviously I'm going to make it be you because I have absolved myself of all responsibility for this recording. I mean, I have to edit it, but like... Yeah, I mean, there's, like, some stuff, like, you know, you, you're going to have to do for me. Um, there's, a, there's like, lists and things. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So first, we should start and find out how this is going to go. Do you have a yeah. D20 with I you? I do. Of course I do. Oh, okay, great. Um, you just keep it on your purse. It, like, pops out of his mouth. It's really weird, y'all. <laughs> no, it comes to my nose. <laughs> it's real hard to get back in, though. All right, I'm going to roll two. Oh, no. Oh, well. Did I get a modifier? Plus 20. And it's a 23. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I got a 15, so... Okay, so you're really going to carry this, which, like, isn't surprising to me. It's fine. We're fine. Oh, my gosh. So one thing that you don't know, at least unless you've heard through the grapevine, is that I just started a re-listen. I'm pregnant. No. Oh, my God. No. We're not going to do that again. Um, I think we're good. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're good. Think okay. uh, can you imagine if this is how I told you? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, no, I just started to re-listen again because I was like having a rough week, month, whatever is happening. <laughs> and I had finished listening to all of our episodes and was like, oh God, I just want something silly that's going to make me giggle. And I was like, and I'm out of last refuge. And I was like pouting and mad at myself. And I was no. like, oh, but you're not. You can start again. <laughs> And so I did. You can always go back to before. That's true. So it's just like TLR on loop. And we're going to find more and more things. There are so many fun things that I can't wait to talk to the group about. Like in episode two, I start the rope thing. I've blamed Lydia this whole time. I hope she's not ever going to listen to this episode in two days when you send it to us. Uh Uh, I start the rope thing. Uh, that's me. So see, this is this is why I love that you all have been several of you all have done re-listens because I absolutely am not going to have time to re-listen before season ten, but you all will have. And so when you throw things at me from season two, well, I shouldn't say this because now you're going to know that you can just make shit up. But Uh like (laughs) in theory, it will be delightfully surprising. Now I'm afraid I might cut this. And there's a lot, like, there's a, there's a, obviously, like, a rolling list in my head of things I want to talk to them all about that I will have completely forgotten by the time that we get into it. But there was, like, a Bria Flick love story moment that was maybe going to happen. Oh, yeah, I remember that. But then I feel like, I don't know if this, well, maybe this is not my 
place to say this. So I'm going to say it and then check with Alex. And if he's cool with me saying it on air, then this mm. won't get cut. But um, there was also a moment several seasons after that, unrelated to the potential Bria romance, I should preface this by saying, um, where Alex and I had a conversation that Flick, I think, actually might be ace. Might be asexual. I kind of remember that maybe even being on air. It, it could have um, been. I'm going to check with it before I decide to not yeah, cut that answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was that moment. And I think both Alex and I, regardless of what would have happened, would have been like, this is not going to happen. <laughs> but like, <laughs> even like, just imagine like what would have happened, like the way that like battles would go and stuff. I know there's some like popular podcasts and shows that like there are characters that are married or whatever that then you're fighting with that person like fighting against i mean you fight with them because you're married to them but also you're fighting with them um, i mean that's me and brian's character on rivals of Waterdeep. we're a long-term couple and the fights are not as stressful as you would think because it's also just about one-upping each other <laughs> <laughs> until someone dies and we do have a Bizdira in this campaign so well that's true but Bizdira is not part of the couple well it could have happened uh, you're right you're not wrong all right we're gonna dive in okay. we're gonna do it Can oh my you god we haven't dived Dovin in yet Dovin no this is n- is it Dovin it's not Dovin it's dived or dove <laughs> we yeah have, dove have do- divin divination and that's how we're going to get into talking about D&D. See, I'm Alex. Um, no, but we're not. We're going to start with you, your <laughs> favorite topic. Mm. Tell me about the history of Huge. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, so for everyone else, I had such specific questions and I knew that that would torture you. Oh, that's horrible. Um, I all, well, let's start with like basics of childhood. Um, I think that the rest of us lean more into talking a lot more about like our musical theater backgrounds and stuff like that. Sure. Um, and I also know that your like whole family listens to this. So like we'll cut out the trauma. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> hi mom. Hi dad. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, tell us a little bit about your childhood and who you were as a kiddo? Were you oh, always like a super nerdy kiddo? To yeah. you, like, yeah, let's go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was. I but 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 not D and D. It was always uh, video games and that kind of side of nerdiness. Also, just like academic nerdiness that also mm-hmm. persists to today, right? Mm-hmm. Science and science, STEM subjects and things like that. And then was also always a performer. You know, there are home movies that I actually find delightful, which I know is rare, of me at, like, well, it was before my family moved out of New Orleans, so I was less than three years old, uh, standing on the coffee table, just belting Gloria Stefan for the gods. Um, <laughs> so I am deeply insulted that I have not seen these. <laughs> I think my parents still have them, so I'm sure they do. They're getting a text. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was sort of all of that, but... But publicly, I mean, with my friends, it was no secret that I enjoyed, you know, the nerdier pursuits, uh, video games and, and all and that sort of stuff. But in terms of public facing stuff, it, really, it was it was all the music theater that we all end up talking about in these Tarantalk yeah. episodes, right? It was that all through college, through my first many years in New York, uh, after college, uh, and really, really, the geeky nerd didn't come into the public eye until well till this podcast kind of uh-huh that kind of launched the whole thing yeah do you, i think a thing that you don't often talk about is 
Um, not just that you like have performed on stage, but like you as a musical director, um, you like playing shows, um, and conducting shows and all of that stuff, which I think is like this, like, I don't want to call it a hidden persona because I don't think it is, but I think especially in this realm Uh and like, not just like a performer on stage either. Oh, here come the compliments. (laughs) Oh no. Also like the dancing portion, like it's like, it's like a quadruple threat what's quintuple threat is that fun well here's a cute little story so huge was my music director when i was directing wedding singer in new york and i decided i wanted to choreograph it um i am not a dancer at all i literally like i think we talked about this with alex talks but like wacky inflatable arm guy is my idea of dancing um (laughs) However, I found a bunch of those old videos of like the 80s jazzercise workout videos and decided that that would be perfect choreography. By the way, terrible review for the choreography because they didn't get it. <laughs> but I, when we had to dance people at the audition, I uh, asked you to teach it to everyone. You sure did. Because <laughs> I couldn't do it. So yep. I mean, I, it's not, I watched you do it for a few groups. I, you know, I learned it with them, and then you were like, "You do it and play the piano at the same time." Probably. It's fine. No, I um, think we used a recording for that. Uh, let's not yeah. get this. Yeah, like, I don't this think like it... a too out of control. <laughs> um. Okay. Moving along in questions. Describe. I don't know the answer of this for you. Describe your ideal day. Oh, well. So there are two versions of this, right? One version is the version where, like, there's nothing on the calendar right Mm -hmm. and so it's and 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 this is the important part of this version right is there's nothing on the calendar and also nothing looming on future calendar days that my brain won't let me stop thinking about right yeah where i can actually have a day where my brain will allow me to take it off and do what i want and that day is like i don't know low to mid 70s and sunny so i can go out to the (laughs) park Right? But also there will be indoor time. But then, like, later in the evening, it should definitely thunderstorm so that I can play video games and watch a horror movie. Yeah, I know. And, yeah. So that's, like, one version where, like, I not only have free time, but I have free time that my brain recognizes as true free time. The other version is actually a day kind of like today, the day that we're recording this, um, where, like, I am not overlapping booked, but, like, the work hours of my day are well-scheduled and full of things, right? Mm -hmm. Because there is something about that structure that I enjoy. And if I have a full day, like we already said, my work is things that I enjoy, right? It's gaming or designing or whatever, right? Streaming. Um, So I enjoy all of that. It's just that, like, I would like a day like today where, like, I start at 10.30. I have a meeting from 10.30 to 11.30. And then I get a break for lunch. And then I have a meeting from 12.30 to 4. And an interview at 4. And then this interview at 5.15. You're shaking your head like that's awful. I love it because I'm being productive. But I also don't have time to sit here and be like, do I allow myself a moment of rest and feel guilty about what I'm not doing? Or do I continue to do something that I don't have to do right now, but I feel like I should? I avoid all that when my day is fully scheduled, and I appreciate that every now and again. Sure. And I think a lot of people would probably agree with that. I legitimate that is everything that I fight my whole life. Like, that is what I am fighting. It is my major bat. I'm like, I want to relax all of the day, all of the day. How – so on that first instance, 
How long could you do that? Because I don't think it's very long that you could have nothing on your calendar for a whole day. Is it like when you're on vacation, is it like two days before your brain starts going like, I need more than this? The truth is I don't know because I don't remember the last time (laughs) that there hasn't been something, right? And it may not be – it's due tomorrow or even like next week. But like, for example, for example, season 10, the finale season of our show, The Last Refuge, right? Like it's been sitting there for months. So I took a few days off a couple weeks ago. But even knowing that there was unfinished work to be done on season 10 prep, it mm-hmm. wasn't I, it, I was not turned off like I just described my ideal day. Right. Mm-hmm. Even even if it was just a little bit, there was that, oh, you know, maybe I should sit down and like write a few more stats for the beast, or maybe I should look at the player's list of things that they want to accomplish in between seasons and figure out what we're doing next, right? Mm -hmm. Even that little thing worms its way in. So I don't know. I imagine that you are right. I don't think I could do a long stretch of genuinely untethered free time. I do think I could do it for longer than either of us assumes, I think mm. it's been so long since I actually had a free brain day that, like, I could take a few of them. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, and this is part of why all of my hobbies got monetized, right? Is because I'm I hyperfixate, and so mm-hmm. in that free time, I would start doing something, and then I'd be like, oh, you know what? I could make a thing out of this. Oh, you know mm-hmm. what? I could I could do a show, or I could write a design, or I could create a, or I could, or I could. So, like, e- even in my free time, I would still probably end up working at least a little. But I could I could definitely do a day or two of absolute nothing. I think that's where our brains are shared, but I do the opposite, which is like my brain starts to be like, oh, you could do. And I'm like, you shut up. You stop talking. <laughs> you stop it right now. <laughs> you don't have any time. Any time at all. Well, and then I start thinking about like, oh, well, TLRs, I mean, you know, series one's going to be over uh, pretty soon. How are we going to fill that hole in my uh, brain time? Oh, gosh. We have, there's so many segues that I could make right now. All right. Let's. Go into a little bit more just like D&D in general, and then we'll get deeper into TLR. Okay. Tell me how it's been to transform into this community of I'm I'd like to call you D&D famous. Uh-huh. Um I think you would disagree with that. Uh-huh. Um but to me you are D&D famous. Uh-huh. Um so tell me like what it's been like to transform and become a part of this community that started like just like at a table and now is suddenly like you are in this community and and how you're writing and how and everything. It's wild. It's I don't understand any of it. Um and I and a lot of that comes from and you know this too. A lot of this comes from spending years just busting my ass in the theater yeah. industry and community for like I I don't mean for this to sound quite as 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 depressing as it's going to but like busting my ass for for ultimately like very little results, mm-hmm. right? That was less true in like 2018-2019, like thing of course, things like had started to pick up. I was working more regularly in theater, kind of bouncing back and forth between on stage and and behind the the conductor's podium, but it was just, you know, years and years and years of busting my booty and like inching forward to create a career. And this D&D thing, this game design, whatever, however we want to categorize it, has been really gratifying in a way that theater was, it was a lot harder to find that gratification. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know that even now I can really pinpoint what that is. I mean, a lot of it is, is I do feel like there is a lower barrier to entry in terms of creating your own stuff. 
mm-hmm. like we have done in gaming, right? You can create mm-hmm. your own theater, but like if that's going to actually be of any real influence on a career, like there are barriers there. There are financial barriers primarily, right? Mm-hmm. And then just sort of, but but in gaming, especially, I mean, you know, I was lucky, we were lucky uh, that we sort of entered this space with this show in a time where like folks were hungry for this kind of content and folks mm-hmm. were out there looking for new voices and, and, and beginners and new stuff to bring in to expand the community and the industry. Mm-hmm. And so the gratification has been bigger and faster, uh, mm-hmm. which is Amazing and also just very confusing to me because it's not the way my professional life has gone up to now. Yeah. But yeah, it's wild. I'll never believe that I am D&D famous or any other kind of famous. I think that's wild and and weird. Uh, Mm -hmm. But like... I've gotten to do some cool shit with cool people, and that's awesome. You get to continue doing that, too. Yeah. Is it, um, I have a question listed here that just feels natural, even though it feels really um, pluggy. Is there anything – I mean, I know you have a lot of stuff that's coming up, but is there anything that's coming up that you're just, like, super stoked about, super excited about – Really just TLR being done and you not having the schedule with us anymore. That's got to be it, right? <laughs> it's not honestly even <laughs> even less than schedule even or whatever. Even more of a thing that I'm excited to not have to do than scheduling is editing. Yeah. What's coming up? Oh, okay. So there the the there is one thing that is definitely in like the top three that I cannot talk about yet, uh, which makes me really sad. That's an exciting thing that in a few months, maybe at the beginning of season ten, uh, I'll be able to uh, to talk about. Um, but that's sort of a a genre crossing moment that I'm excited about. Mm. What else? The So we announced recently that we have, uh, if all goes well, we have three more seasons of Rivals of Waterdeep, um, mm. the show that, I am, that I've been doing for several seasons now. And we are, this current season that's coming up this fall, we're going to be 19th level. And then we're going to do two seasons at 20th level, which I have never seen. I can only kind of conceptualize what that is even like. I mean, you and I have done two long-term campaigns, but we never made it to 20th level. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to see how that goes. And, oh, this is another thing that I sort of can't talk about, the third of my top three, uh, but I can say a little bit more about is I got to help in designing a new um, tabletop game uh, with a a pretty well-known publisher. Um, So we're getting the good treatment on it. But I was, I got to write some lore for some factions in the game. And I was able to, one of the factions is primarily a Latine faction. And I was really excited to get to write that in general. And I wrote, <laughs> to be clear, their characters are not like the real people. It's just the names, largely. But I, I got to write a couple of characters that I named after my grandparents, mm. which I'm really excited about. Uh, you know, in the last maybe five years or so, I have really found my or deepened my connection to my Mexican family. And so getting to include them, even just their names in this really cool story that I'm writing for like a, you know, kind of big deal publisher uh, was awesome. And of course, my grandfather passed away pretty recently. And so getting to have that of him is is nice. And I'm excited to, for that to come out. I have no idea when that is going to be released or even announced. Uh, so people yeah. could be listening to this five years in the future. That's so. right. And in that case, you should or go more. listen to B. Um, what is your, uh, you talked about lore and that is some of my, I've been playing with you for a long time. Uh, That's some of my favorite parts of 
you as a DM is when you start to get into lore and stuff like that. Like my brain is just like, yes, more, write a book. Um, what's your, what is your favorite part about D&D? And it can be from a player level. It can be from a DM level. Like what's your favorite, like what calls to you the most out of the game? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the lore. It's the adding to stories. It's, um, Okay, so one of the reasons I think that you and I are such good friends and work so well together, in particular when we work together like as director and music director, and one of the reasons I love music directing in theater and not directing, right, is I, and I will even say this confidently, I am very good at taking a thing and expanding and cleaning and fixing and and iterating and creating something very cool and new and exciting, right? And... That's why I love music directing, because I can teach and shape a score and support you as the director on the whole concept, right? Um, but taking that from pure scratch is much harder and more stressful for me, right? Totally. And so in the same, in the same way, and I know not every table likes this, and I know not every DM does this, but obviously not TLR because we are largely, you know, my own created homebrew whatever stuff, but in, in our, other campaign that that we both um, you know sort of started playing D and D with. One of my favorite things to do is take that existing setting, right? We played in the Forgotten Realms, and I know a ton about the Forgotten Realms stories and lore. I, if I read them like a novel, they will stick in my brain, right? Mm-hmm. And so I can take that stuff. I can take that rich history that already exists within, say, the Forgotten Realms, right? And I can pull things that other author better authors than I and I don't say that because I think I'm a bad author I just like like there are incredible writers out there who have created incredible worlds right so I can take that cool stuff and thread it into what we do and it's it gives me a a baseline so I don't feel like everything is my responsibility from from jump right but also for those folks who know that external lore or who are at all familiar with it I love the moments of recognizing the easter eggs recognizing a name or an event or a, a you know a historical whatever i i love feeling like a part of a larger world that that encompasses lots of other people in the fiction but also one of the coolest things about all of the actual play podcasts and streams that are now out there is that we can connect those worlds to each other, right? Totally. We can plane shift and world hop and universe travel, right? And so somebody from Rivals of Waterdeep might show up in Last Refuge at some point, right? Or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And I love that feeling of interconnected storytelling. My example of that for me is that when we were playing our original campaign, and yes, yes, we know nobody likes to hear about old campaigns that nobody knows about, but you... You introduced us to Neverember. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Dagalt Neverember. At one point. And it was like, I think it was just like a, a touching stone, like a touch point on our way to do something else. He like made us dinner. And my character, for whatever reason, became obsessed with him. Yeah. Not in love with him, but nope. trusted him implicitly. And everyone else was like, what are you talking about? This guy is like pure evil. And still to this day, I will hear stories about that character and I'll be like, absolutely not. That can't be true. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and, and again, like that story to me in my head, your character's relationship with Dagult Neverember is part of then every story that includes him. So 
listeners, for the listeners that don't know, Daigle Neverember was um, the leader of of Neverwinter in a in a period of the Forgotten Realms history, um, and he showed up in like some old books, uh, some like Companions of the Hall Dristo Erden novels he's in, and there are other places where he crops up. Um, he cropped up in some four E stuff about Neverwinter, and then he was sort of away for a while. We used him in our other campaign that we're talking about. Your character had this obsession with him, whatever, and then Daigle Neverember popped up years later again in the 5e adventure uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. He is a key NPC in that story. And every time I look at that book or run a part of that adventure or think about that adventure, Daigle Neverember has a relationship with a weird little wizard named Schwartz Mugley. <laughs> <laughs> no, the E doesn't stand for anything. It's just E. It's, um, that's her last name. That's her last name. So, so yeah, that's so exciting to me, right? That we can create these stories and for us, they can be continuous and contiguous and all connected. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that's very cool and very exciting. Okay. I love this. So this is leading then into where did TLR come from? I wish I remembered like my state of mind more clearly when I started planning this campaign. I will say I I do remember very vividly being at my parents' house in their study and just sort of lying on my belly on the floor on the carpet with a notebook and like sketching out a map of the world or of the of TLR the island at one point and like writing a couple of pages of just like prose about Denier and why he would want to have anything to do with a different world. Just little bits and pieces like that came together. But what initially like triggered my brain to write the outline of a story like that, I I wish I knew. There are a few things that I remember. I do remember originally TLR was going to have zero NPCs because I was afraid of them. <laughs> and now you're doing voices and shit. Yeah. TLR was always meant to not have a gold economy because I hate that shit. Too mm-hmm. much tracking for... Now, I will say I love that shit for a private game, but I hate that shit for a for an actual play public game because how yeah. boring. Sorry if you run an AP show and do lots of that. I love you and I'm sure your show's not boring. But it's uh, <laughs> so like I remember bits and pieces, but oh, I also remembered that the, uh, TLR as an island was because in my head I was writing a campaign arc that sort of was like a video game RPG where like you have a starter area that is very mm-hmm. easy and has and sort of teaches you the basics and then you expand out from there. That was always kind of my plan. It sort of worked out. <laughs> that was yeah, that was the next thing that I had like on my list, which it was that you told us essentially at the beginning of all of this, you are going to a place where they're you're starting from scratch. You might have to make things out of plants. You might have to whatever, which is why all of us chose like bear traps and shovels. Yeah. Like the, we were all like, okay, we're going to this like wild world and we're going to have to be able to build stuff and whatever. Um, so you told us that from the start that it was, and I kind of pictured like, I don't know exactly what they're called. They are a brand of like quote unquote cozy games, which is like that you're going to take this ingredient and mix it with this ingredient and that's going to become whatever. And then that becomes whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and so that's what I thought we were getting into with this. Um, and then slowly but surely it started to roll out and we're like, okay. I mean, I can't imagine the world without RX and the NPCs yeah. and all of that. So it's so interesting to hear that just like one day it just like, I mean, I guess that's how everything starts, but one day it just popped into your brain and you just went with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of knew right before we started the first recording that there were going to be NPCs, that there, you know, there was going to be some assistance for you there. But some of that came from you all just so immediately, like, connecting with the NPCs that you encountered. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind of still 
in many ways, accidentally, I'm not taking credit for this, like, genius turnaround. It just happened to work out that I actually think it makes sense that you all came supplied with all of that, like, let's build civilization stuff because you didn't know shit about this world before you got here. Your dad mm-hmm. was like, hey, go do this thing. Here's a portal. Bye. I hate that guy. So, like, and, and I and and we can sort of understand that both Gavrail and Denier, at least to some extent, there may be some other, you know, uh, goings on that we may or may not ever find out about, but to some extent, they assumed this world was pretty empty, right? So it makes sense that you all showed up with, with bear traps and shovels and all of that. It mm-hmm. just turned out that it wasn't necessary. <laughs> So at what point did Robert get involved? And I will say that, like, I'm purposely going to stay away from a lot of questions that I have about the world and all of that, because we are going, obviously, into the final season as we record this. But also, um, as far as right now goes, I still want to interview Robert. And then there is a point where I either want to interview both of you after the fact and be like, what was that? Or for all of us to get together and what was that? (laughs) Um, So I'm going to stay away from a lot of those questions. But at what point did Robert get involved in all of this? Pretty early on i had the i had the basic outline for the campaign as i as i have described right you all uh, for three azamar and a tiefling show up in a new world after a season of wandering around they figure out that they're there to consecrate some locations of power for a god who wants access to this world so all of that existed before robert well in episode two you said this is why it came up in my mind in episode two you said my story consultant robert huff so oh okay so then it was, was before like, we started recording um, okay. but I don't but I but here's I guess here's why I don't remember so clearly when it started was because at that point in the early seasons all of season 1 really I mean some details some design details Robert definitely helped with but a lot of that season was just what I had come up with for the campaign on my own at the, from the outset, right? Mm-hmm. And and was Robert sort of figuring out what the story was going to be, what, you know, we had played some D&D together, but, like, how the show was going to be run. I remember some real early comments from Robert, which is funny to think about now, but I remember some real early comments on early episodes from Robert about, like, how we table-talked too much. <laughs> so, so yeah. Uh, but then after that first season, uh, where we sort of expanded the world a little bit, you all found out about the the your siblings and all of that. Um, then that's where that's where Robert really started to contribute directly to the story beats. What was um thinking through all of that? What's been I asked everyone this too. What has your favorite moment been so far in TLR? I knew this question was coming. I don't know why I didn't try and figure it out earlier. I had trouble with this one too. Yeah, I, yeah, I know you. T- I remember. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there's there's a bunch of little moments. Um, and a lot of them are from very early seasons that I remember really clearly. So I think those have to be some of my favorite moments, right? So it's things like the River Ushrog the first time, mm-hmm. right? Or meeting Varn for the first time. But then there were also moments like I loved the tension when Bizdira went down in the Arcanium. I say that, yeah. I loved it because it was this really, really good blending of like, crunchy ass speed mechanics and also really intense storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the way that we dealt with like the revivify material component, the gold component, right? Like I thought that was creative on my and Alex and Lydia's part in a really fun way. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, you know, the moment that you all decide not to consecrate the, quote unquote temple, right? That's a big one that stands out for me. And then all of like the special episodes that we've done 
Those are all, I mean, they're all my favorite, right? So the mm-hmm. character minisodes from season one are my favorite. Uh, all really of the holiday like specials that we ever did, including the one that you all won't make, stop making fun of me about it being frozen. Um, <laughs> like all of the holiday episodes are my favorite. Uh, the 200th episode where you all, which you now know was the creation of the beast, right? The legend of the mm-hmm. creation of the beast. Like that was such a fun episode to do with you all. Will you tell me, or do I have to wait? What, I know in the past you've said like, I really don't know. I didn't know if you guys were going to consecrate or not. What would the the trajectory of the world have looked like had we consecrated the temple? That is, it's really hard for me to say for a couple of reasons. Um, the first is I I had some idea, some very vague ideas about you all island hopping much more quickly than you ended up doing, right? To consecrate each of those, maybe having to return to one because the opposing party had screwed up one of the consecrations, right? And then ultimately, probably some sort of big knockdown drag out fight that involved Abydos and Gavrail. Probably, mm-hmm. but the re- but but beyond that, the first reason that it's hard for me to say is I hadn't planned a whole lot more specifically than that. Um, mm-hmm. And the other reason is because when we started this in the summer of 2017, this we lived in a different world. Yeah, in a lot of ways, right? On the global scale, on the national scale, in the gaming industry scale, right? 2017 was a different world, mm-hmm. and. So I can't say what that story would have turned into because what I now in summer of 2022 look back five years and realize is, you know, a lot of the tropes and original story hooks that I came up with, I'm actually really glad we got away from because mm-hmm. I I had not at that point sort of learned to um, be more critical of the assumptions and the tropes and the things that I use in my storytelling. And so what I realize now is actually the story that I presented you all with at the beginning of season one is one of of religious colonization, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's what it is. That's what it was, mm-hmm. and that's what it was meant to be, right? I did that, and it wasn't a mistake. It was what I meant. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Looking back, like that's bananas. That's not a story that I want to tell. I'm so glad you all <laughs> didn't do that, but like that's what it would have been. So I don't, I don't know how that story would have matured and evolved into today's world if it had mm-hmm. remained about you all bringing a god in to rule over a world that already had existing civilizations. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that would have looked like. Mm-hmm. I do think that like we we have, and we've talked about this a lot, like as a team have all taken what is happening in the world and have integrated it into our story and grown with what's happening in the world. You just said 2022 and my brain legitimately was like, it's 2020, bro. But <laughs> I saw that moment in your eyes. It was stopped. wild. <laughs> I have stopped. It just stopped. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But I do think, I do think that we, we would have grown with it, but yeah, it's just so interesting to, to know it would have been different, obviously. Um, just interesting to listen back and, and see. I love how it's grown. I love what we've created and all of that too. Certainly um, would have been shorter. <laughs> a lot shorter. Yeah. Gosh. And I, um, and I will say that that growth from all of us is one of the things I'm most proud of. Um, mm-hmm. Because the six of us, right, the four of you players, me and Robert, we all have always, right, sort of been on the left side of the political spectrum and and all of that. Don't tell right? people. But we, yeah, we right. shouldn't tell we shouldn't them. We shouldn't say it. Um, <laughs> but we all also, like, have very different backgrounds and lived experiences and all of that stuff. And it is not... I could never take for granted that 
that all six of us would see eye to eye on how we interact with the changing socioeconomical political environment in which we are living, right? Mm-hmm. But every single step of the way, every time I have come to you all with a concern about our content, whether it was, hey, let's try and be aware of our language so we don't use language that is ableist and discriminatory against folks with mental health issues, right? For, that was immediately like, yep, I get it. Let's do it. We'll work on it together, right? Robert and I working on moving this story out of religious colonization, right? And un- and having you all as as characters understand that, yes, there is a lot that you can accomplish in this world because you are outsiders. But one thing you are not is uh, one thing that you can't do is be the indigenous people of this world, right? Mm-hmm. And that means something and is important. And your support of them is not a, a usurping of their power, right? Mm-hmm. All of those things from the big to the small, you all have immediately gone with on the show and I have watched, learn from in your lives and 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 I have too and changed the way that we we see the world and the people around us and the way that we care about the people around us. It's, we tell a good story. We have a lot of fun. We're very goofy. I think, I think our show is really fun to listen to, but that will always be, I think, if I really ever sit and think about it, one of the things I'm most proud of, most proudest, I'm most proud of for this show is what it taught all of us. And that sounds so cheesy, but like, this has been a big moment in global history the last several years and mm-hmm. have being able to navigate it with the five of you has been amazing. I don't have tissues. <laughs> oh God. And now I'm going to ask some stupid questions. Yeah, do it. Do it, please. <laughs> um, I completely agree. I think there are so many things in our lives, in my life in general, that this podcast has shaped in how yeah. I see things and how I speak to people and how I see people and all of those things. So, yeah. um, all right. Silly questions. Yes, do it. Who's your favorite NPC? I have grown very attached to Sniv. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if he's my like favorite of all time, but he's one of my favorite to keep doing because I think he's such an interesting little cobalt from what we've set up. Yeah. Who else do I really love. I think Octavia is really interesting. I think she's been super useful to you all, but I occasionally sit there and when you all will ask her a question or ask her to do something, I will often sit there and think about like who who she actually is and what she's actually experienced, right? She's not the Oglorp. She hasn't been around for you know, 500 to 1,000 plus years, whatever. But she's been around the block. I mean, she's been here for a while. She started, she's one of the founders of what we now think of as the Enclave, right? Like, she's been, she's been here. She's done it. She's powerful. And I just think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, you think about, like, well, if she's so powerful, why hasn't she done some of this in the past? And, like, there's no easy answer to that. But thinking about her as a full person who, like, mm-hmm. where there is a reason that she hasn't just fixed things with her, you know, seventh level spells or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, makes her really interesting, even if we haven't gotten to explore all of that on air yet. Um, how do you feel about drinks now? Everybody has this question, and we all know that now everyone has a crush on drinks, so... I've always loved drinks because drinks was one of my first attempts at making an abrasive, quote unquote, unlikable NPC who actually is not a bad guy, right? Yeah. He was very opposed to you, but 
that I never, even in the early days before you really got to know him and he was just kind of an ass, like mm-hmm. even then I never saw Dranks as the bad guy. And I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily in the early days did the best job of that with him, but I think he has grown in such a way that I'm, I'm actually quite proud of him now. Uh, but I've always loved Dranks. I think... I don't know. I And again, I'm about to, I'm not even there yet. I'm on like episode four or five or whatever. But I do think that even from the beginning, it was always super clear that like why he thought he should be in charge. And he did have a good claim for that, I thought. So I I never was like, I mean, he was kind of a dick, but like otherwise. Like, <laughs> yeah, know. yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, side note, request for on the topic of um, Octavia, request for a podcast with just the lore of the Arcanists, please. Um, oh. That's what I am here for. Um, just putting that in there. Uh-huh. Like, you know, you all know have a lot of it now. I mean, there are details and More. stories in there, but you have the broad strokes of, of most I want the of whole it. thing okay. as like a audio drama. <laughs> okay. That's what I want. Yeah. You write the script and I'll record it in my free time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> you'll write I'll it in your free it time. In my free time. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, okay, I asked everybody this, but Mary fuck kill, kobolds, orcs, you on team. I hate, I'm not a big snake fan, so I think I have to kill the Yuan-Ti. I am not gonna lie to you, I think sex with an orc would be athletic and super fun. Uh, so I'd fuck an orc and marry a kobold. <laughs> this is put my little earmuffs on. <laughs> you asked the question! Uh, I know! I'd always set myself up for that. Um, if you, this is a trap. If you could play one of our characters, who would it be? So what's act, what? What I find really interesting is we have a rogue, a monk, a druid, and then well, Flick started as a cleric, but now is a uh, bard ranger, and all four of you play classes that I like that I would consider my favorite my favorite characters that I've used as those classes right Kent in Rivals of Waterdeep is a rogue and I fucking love rogues right my character in a a game set in uh, Theros the sort of Greek mythology setting uh, that my partner runs is a monk and I'm having so much fun playing a monk Um, druids are I'm playing a druid in familiar quest right now uh, which is another show another actual play show that I'm doing Um, and okay I guess not ranger but bard uh, I have like two or three bards that I take on one shot like charity event one shots that I do and just have a blast playing them so mechanically i would take any of you and be very happy with them skirting around the question well i but i think there are layers to the answer right because that's a for me because i love the crunch uh, the mechanics of your class is a big part of it and i would take any of you very happily um i think the one that i would love to play because i want to know more about some things in their past and I, I don't know if we're ever going to find this out. So if I got to play them, I could just make it up. Would actually be Kit. I want to know about this Kit. boy. I uh-huh. want to know about that circle of druids that she met. I want to know who that arch druid was. Um, and that's all. And that's not me, like, you know, patting myself Pretty on the back for that cool. awesome backstory, cool. the, backstory that I wrote for for Karin. That's all stuff that she wrote on her own for that episode. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think, I think that. The truth is, like, the other truth is I could never do any of your characters actual justice because I would try so hard to play them as you playing them that it would just be this like weird parody of me doing these characters. Yeah. 
For sure. I think we would all run into that. Oh, no, you said something that triggered a memory. Oh, there's a moment, I think it's episode two or three, that Alex says, like, oh, I'm going to mock him. And you're like, you are not a bard. You cannot. And I was like, oh, you just wait. He's got to be a bard. (laughs) I love it. Foreshadowing. We didn't even know it. (laughs) We had no idea. Um, Okay, before we move on from this... Uh, because I asked your favorite moment, what's your least favorite TLR moment? Well, I already well. know the answer. Yep, the well. <laughs> That's what it is. Um, and the thing is, like, I don't hate the well as much as I pretend to. But the thing about the well, and I, I'm going to say this, and I know Alex in particular is going to listen to it, and I don't, I don't want you to feel bad about this. Um, but my thing with the well actually is that it reminds me of a very important lesson that I've learned about running games and storytelling, um, which is good, but it also reminds me that I made I made a big mistake with that well. Uh, and so, like, every time you all bring it up, I'm like, God, if I, like, knowing what I know now, I would never have run that encounter that way because of this, right? So you all taught me a good lesson, but it is a constant reminder that I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and if the well is not a part of season 10, <laughs> none of us have done our job correctly. Yeah, well, yeah. Um... um do you, is there, I know you're going to say no, but I'm going to ask because I don't care. Um, I know that you and Robert have had discussions about the future of TLR past season 10. Mm-hmm. Are you willing to share any of that information, any of the things that you two have thought about, even if it never comes into fruition? The conversations haven't gone much further than we would love to do something else. There have been a lot of ideas tossed back and forth. But until we know how many who of you all want to continue on, I don't think either of us is super interested in making big decisions because we've all learned so much in the last five and a half years that I, I think I think it would be much smarter to figure out who wants to do a series two, if that's what we want to do, or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And then build it together a little bit more. This is just silly, but what D&D rule do you hate? Like, what D&D rule would you change? And we've been totally free with like doing this stuff but which rule do you like need changed that's so interesting uh because just last week i guess it was um wizard of the coast announced the next iteration of dungeons and dragons um it is currently in its playtest in its in a public playtesting phase so they're rolling out bits of the new rule set publicly and then doing surveys but right now it's called one dnd it is based in 5e So Mm -hmm. new things will be backwards compatible with 5e, but it basically addresses the things that over the past, you know, however many years since uh, 5e came out, um, that have been sort of constant pain points. Uh, And they address a lot of the stuff that I probably would have ultimately mentioned. Um, But if I had to pick one thing in the current fifth edition that I hate and would love changed it would obviously be a rogue's inability to do sneak attack damage with magic Aww, no that's not true you. at all uh- <laughs> you're just trying to get me to sign on for a, a second series I yeah obviously, obviously that's what the whole thing is oh here's here's this is such a tiny i don't know if this is like my most hated thing but here's the thing i've never sort of understood right uh for spells like detect magic i uh, sorry uh dispel magic right 
if it's a spell higher than third level, you have to make a spell casting ability check, which makes sense to me, right? You're drawing on that same ability that you use to cast magic to, like, give the spell some extra oomph and overcome a problem. What I don't understand is why you don't add your proficiency bonus to that. Because it seems to me that in using that ability score, right, in using your intelligence or your wisdom or your charisma to learn how to enact magic upon the world, you're pretty proficient at that. Uh, So I understand, like, math-wise, it would do some wonky things with the numbers, but it seems to me if you're making an ability check as part of a spell, it's a bit like making an attack roll as part of the spell, for which you Mm -hmm. do get to add your proficiency bonus, so spellcasting ability checks should add your proficiency bonus. Great. We'll submit that. Sure. All right, are you ready for my game? I'm ready for your game. I forgot about your game. I'm ready for the game. Okay. So I created a game. I was like, we have to do something fun. I have to throw them off. And I had to come up with a third question. So that's what we did. Great. I am calling this game, I Don't Trust You. (laughs) And at first I was going to do a game that was like us trying to read each other's minds, but that would be boring on an audio medium and we'd probably be wrong and that would be boring. So the game is called I Don't Trust You. So I am going to have you introduce me, you have not been forewarned of this, to four new characters. Okay. And I need you to decide before you introduce the characters, and I need like a two-second or five-second to ten-second clip of each of them, maybe their voice, and they tell me a little something about themselves, and I'm going to tell you whether or not I trust them. But you need to decide beforehand if I should trust them or not. Okay, and are these characters in TLR that Bria is meeting, or are these characters that Taryn is meeting? We're going to do Bria. Okay. Oh, see, this is so interesting because I, I want to, I'm trying really hard to remain neutral in my description, uh-huh. but to some extent that's impossible because it's unfair if I give you no actual information about whether or not to trust this yeah. person. Well, you so, can tell me like where I meet them. Okay. So, oh, let's, do, yes, let's do this. You ask okay. me questions about the person and then, and as, as I learn a little bit more about them, I'll tell you more, but, but this is, this is better because it's Well, just tell me like, uh, no, 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 no. This no, is no, my no. guess. I'm, I'm changing the game. game. Yeah, already I'm rewriting. <laughs> No, no, just say, like, okay, so Bria is on this island, okay, and she runs into this person here, and this is the first thing that they say to her, in whatever voice their voice is, and then I have to choose from there if I can trust them or not. Immediate snap judgment. Great. Okay. Okay. So, you are uh, in the world below on the eastern island, and uh, you've gone out for lunch on your own. Okay, I bring a book. Uh, yes, you absolutely bring a book. Uh, what's the book? This is important. It's a really boring book. It's like okay. a history of something that I know not all history is boring, but it's a history of something that Bria doesn't care about, and so she's doodling in the book. Like, she's like drawing out, she's picturing what it looks like, and so she's drawing it rather than learning. Okay, so you are there eating, drawing, not learning, and you notice at the table next to you an older human woman who is uh, who has finished her meal, uh, has a cup of tea, and is knitting. And she uh, looks over and notices you drawing in the book. And she says to you, Oh dear, those are some lovely doodles that you've got going on in there. My grandniece would love that. She's an artist, you know. Don't trust. (laughs) Just you don't trust me. (laughs) I don't know. No, you know what it is? You made her really cozy. Uh And in making her cozy, you were challenging my brain Mm -hmm. to think that she should be safe, which means she is not safe. 
Mm-hmm. Was I correct? Um, you were not meant to trust her. Okay, so we'll do one more. Because yeah, because you and I can't four... do anything quickly. Okay. No. Okay, but I also <laughs> will be better at this. So the next, uh, the next thing that happens is you are uh, scouring the northern island for any survivors uh, that you can hopefully either assist or, uh, best case scenario, get them to help you with the uh, the final war on the beast. And you come across uh, a gnome man, uh, and he. He is in bedraggled clothes. Uh, He does have what looks like a really nice rapier on his belt, but he has cuts and scrapes. He looks a mess, and he has not noticed you yet. Okay, so then I will go up and I will ask if he needs any assistance. Uh, he whips around and puts his hand to the rapier uh, and sees you there asking about assistance and just releases his entire body uh, and just says, yes, please, I'll, you can, uh, any, just get me out of here. Trust. I was trying not to look at the two circumstances together to be like one trust, one untrust, but like, you know, test taking, whatever. The clothes, the fact that he's probably smaller than me, um, which is, you know, the thing. And then I, it's the second he turned around, the voice was a little bit similar to like Rx. You kind of get a little more breathy. You kind of get a little more whatever. Um, and it seems like he's in danger, um, which then means that there's someone else I should not trust. Oh, yeah, I hadn't actually thought about that piece, but you're right. He was he was definitely in need of help. He'd stolen the uh, the rapier from the remains of the Arcanium, uh, mm. but but in getting that out to defend himself, things didn't go great for him. Great, I'm so glad that I won all of that and got all of the points. Um, okay, last two questions. Yes. What's your go-to happy song? Ooh, lately it is the theme song from the Steven Universe movie. Don't know what that is. We'll have to play 30 seconds of it after this. It's delightful, and it's also supremely musical theater in construction. Um, it's like an introduction of the whole story of the Steven Universe movie. And so Steven, like, goes to these different locations, and there are these, like, tiny little five-line book scenes in between verses. And I cry every time I listen to it because I miss being on stage. <laughs> oh, I know. All right. And then finally, what is the most profound advice you have ever been given? I don't know how profound it is, but I find myself referencing this advice a lot in converse and in particular in conversations about like my life as a whole and why I am who and where I am. Um, And I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on air on this show, but both of, bless them, both of my parents are uh, medical doctors, and I am not. Um, But for a long time, I thought I would become a doctor like them uh, for lots of different reasons. And, you know, I don't know if this was a specific conversation that my parents had with me or if it was part of something larger that they said once or twice. But I have really vivid memories of talking to my parents and talking in particular about um partners that they had had in their practices over the years who became physicians for for reasons other than they wanted to right or they they felt like it was what they needed to do or they wanted to help people or whatever right and just how unhappy they ended up being. And I and I saw that firsthand, right? I mean, I remember individuals who I, you know, I, I was too young to really fully grok it, but like I could tell they were unhappy people and that it was in some way 
related to the fact that they did the same job as my parents, right? And that understanding on my parents' part of like, we love what we do, and yet we very much see how harmful and damaging it could be for someone to do this if it wasn't what they wanted. That gave me the the permission and the courage to not be a doctor and to go into theater. And then when 2020 happened, to just say, okay, that's going on hold. And I'm going to do this other thing because I like it and because I want to try doing it. And, you know, my parents have always been in general supportive. But that that particular point that we have seen firsthand, they have seen, I have seen firsthand, how unhappy a life can be because you think you are going to make more money or because you want to do what your family has done, even if it's not necessarily pressure from your parents, but just like that is a family thing, right? I, I, they impressed upon me and I know how unhappy that can make you. And that is the only reason that I continue to do these nonsense freelance 1099 MISC jobs, right? Uh, is, is because I know that like, yeah, I, I a hundred percent, if I really, set my mind to it and decided to do it. I could go back to law school and 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 it would be tough and but I could pass a bar somewhere after years mm-hmm. of study and going through all that and do that. I could do that. I would make more money. I could, you know, I'm not saying it would be easy, far from it. I'm not saying I would enjoy it. That's the point I'm making, but I could do it. But even in the hardest moments, I don't seriously consider any of that because of that advice, because of that that thing that they pointed out that that was look at how unhappy ultimately doing the thing that you think will make you happier because you know xyz do do what you love yeah i don't know that's not new advice that's not particularly profound advice but it was such an important thing such an important age for me that it was pointed out in such a concrete way say such a again huge so yeah that that's my answer i don't know if it's in the spirit of the question but there you go and that's where we're gonna leave it for this episode uh, here we go you ready for this i'm Thanks so, so ready for much this for listening to this week's very special episode of the last refuge you can reach out to the tlr team by leaving us a podcast review or by dropping us a line on twitter and instagram at at last refuge that's at d the letter n d last refuge if you've got more than 280 characters to say to us you can also email us at dndlastrefuge at gmail.com if you want to know more about us as players access our patreon for bonus content see some awesome fan art uh, and get links to other streams and podcasts where you can see us playing even more dnd you can go to our website www.dndlastrefuge.com we want to thank battle bards for providing a lot of the fantastic music you hear on our show and dnd beyond for being generally amazing in every way possible check out both of those services at battlebards.com and dndbeyond.com i also want to <laughs> send so much thanks and love to all of our patrons and i hope that i pronounce all of these correctly my friends our herald of denier shimigangat tanya and ark our honorary party member seven our schumer scale tribe leaders elhenio lisa diane mercado etheridge and harmony bat our schumer scale council members Nat Rose, Tony ALS, Lucas Holcomb, Steffi Bernard, River Daniel, Stephen Mosley, Verpio, Kin, Sam Ellis, Kelsey G, Jay Sprig, Gordon Ross, Sam Rodman, Jabari Bunch, Tanya C. DePass, Adamando Wookie, Avari Roman, Shane, Sophia, Lavender Kazi, Steven Sakura. Oh my gosh, it's such a long list. And our newest council member, Popcorn Lizard. Hello, Popcorn Lizard. I love popcorn with string cheese. We are so grateful for every single one of you. Thank you so much for being our patrons. 
And finally, I want to thank Robert Hupp, our story consultant, who did absolutely nothing for this episode, but who contractually needs to be mentioned in every episode, or he will ensure all of the characters die. And of course, to all of you for listening. I'm your friendly neighborhood, Taryn, and with me I have... Eugenio, also known as DM Jazzy Hands. I love you. I love you. Happy gaming, y'all! Tweet at us if you know the answer, and you get a prize. <laughs> the prizes are undying infection. I said infection, I meant affection. <laughs> it's been COVID for too long. Okay, let's move along.